On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Todd Ostride on having rules of engagement and strong, healthy boundaries with owners and tenants. That's on this episode of Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that matter to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen. I am accompanied by my spouse, Gwen Aspen. And today we have an exciting episode, and I really mean that. It's um, We're going to talk about setting boundaries with clients and tenants and your wife. <laughs> and uh, our guest uh, is the one and the only uh, Todd Orscheid. And I actually have only, uh, is that the right pronunciation? I, I think you actually got it right there. Todd Orscheid. So, yeah, Damn! I, right. I, I knew it. That's, uh, that's impressive. Also we, known as the Todd father. The Todd father. We, t- we, uh, <laughs> we talk quite a bit on Facebook, um, but we'd actually never met in person. You I haven't? Don't think, I don't think so. I don't oh think my we've gosh. Ever, I think maybe just like in passing at a broken Yeah, at a, at a that's, that's about or something. it, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, he is the CEO of GTL Real Estate in Georgia. So Todd is uh, regularly advising and consulting with people online about all issues, property management, and um, he always gives sound advice. So I thought that this was, uh, we're going to talk about boundaries, as Jeremy mentioned, and I always feel like Todd is giving, your Todd father name is actually very apropos because you're like giving the fatherly advice to the new property managers. (laughs) He is the cure for dipshititis. (laughs) In property management. <laughs> so I just thought, um, you know, it would be a really good topic to get it out on bootstrappers on, on, you know, what rules should be set, how you set them, and also what it means to the identity of a property management company, the value individuals feel like they bring to the table, and sometimes saying no if people don't get it. So I, I don't know. I thought it was a super fun topic. I do want to get into one other thing. We haven't had a bootstrappers episode in a month. Uh, if you hear Jeremy coughing, we both had the Rona. The, the Rona, we were dumb. We didn't wear a mask. We knew we were going to get it. No, yet. we did not know. But it well, was. we did know we were taking a we kind chance. of knew we were <clears throat> maybe going to get it. And then we got it. And Jeremy just had like the sniffles and the cough and i was like on death's doorstep she has pneumonia and i still have pneumonia but we're uh but anyway so we didn't want you to think that we're not doing bootstrappers anymore new episodes every week barring uh, the rona the rona <laughs> Um, but anyway, that, so, that's why we were gone. Anaquim is brought to you. Uh, I'm sorry, Bootstrappers. It's then that's the name of the show. Is brought to you, uh, powered by Anaquim. And uh, at Anaquim, we help transform and scale your business. We help improve profitability. And whether it's uh, virtual assistance, a 24-hour emergency hotline, maintenance calls, leasing calls, or just full-blown back office support, including accounting, uh, we've got you covered. And if you're a fan of the show, 
Share with your friends, like and subscribe on YouTube and leave us a nice message uh, on Apple Podcasts. We love the feedback and we'll send a book to the most insightful review on Apple Podcasts after the show. Stay tuned till the end to learn more about our book giveaway. Oh, let's welcome Todd Orscheid to the show. Uh, Hey, Todd. um, Oh, also worth mentioning. Todd is also above average intelligence, as noted by the fact that he is a pilot. Um, and as we all know on this show, pilots are smart. So, so Todd, uh, maybe a little bit of your history. Uh, you know, a pilot that comes into property management. It's not dissimilar from mine where I used to run an airline, a uh, cargo airline, uh, Bax Global and uh, made my logistics um, and made my way into property management. So what's your background with piloting and how'd you get into this uh, industry? Yeah, so uh, I remember Baxville, actually. I used to see them down, I think, Dayton or, wh- or wherever it was. So yeah, that's, that's Toledo. Uh, it's kind of a throwback. Yeah. Toledo, there, I yeah. gotcha. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so I was an airline pilot before I got into property management. I did that for 14 years. Um, I was originally at uh, AirTran, uh, based out of Atlanta. We sure. merged with Southwest Airlines. Um, and after the merger, um, I was actually going to get shipped off to the West Coast, out to Oakland. And I said, uh, I'm not really interested in that. So I decided it was time for a career change. I uh, spent a few years working on building up my property management business so I could uh, leave the airlines after a few years. So I've been, I've been doing this for about nine years now. Uh, uh, we've got a property management company in both uh, Atlanta and uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. We've got offices in both. Uh, and we manage about 300 properties uh, at this point. Wow, cool. Uh, just a uh, side note, when you refer to cities, uh, do you write them down as like ATL instead of spelling out the whole word? Like, do you stick with that nomenclature? Oh, I, all the time. Whatever the whatever the airport identifier is, that's how it's going. That's, how, that's what I do, no too. I have no idea what I'm talking about half the time. <laughs> it's all over our company stuff, too. I write OMA. And <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, back. Okay, so we'll focus on property management. Yeah, and, um, and I want to ask, because you are um, prolific on some of these message boards for property management. What are the top rookie mistakes that you see property managers make when it comes to setting strong boundaries with tenants and owners? So the biggest thing that I see, it's always just variations on a theme. And the theme is always people are letting either the, well, usually the client, usually the owner, they're letting the owner kind of dictate how their business runs. Um, And we've all done that, you know, when we first started out, you know, we did the same thing. Um, I'm sure you guys did the same at one point when you were starting out, you know, you let them decide whether it's maintenance, rent, you know, whatever it may be, letting them make the decisions. Uh, And the problem with that is you can't really scale that. You know, there's no way to have an actual scalable business when you're, you know, we have one client who wants it done one way, another client who wants it done another. And before you know it, you've got 150 different clients who are telling you to do things different ways. So everything that I see on all the forums, it all seems to branch out from that. You know, everybody's always trying to do different things, different ways for different clients. And that's just a nightmare. And when it comes to tenants, if you're doing things different for one tenant than you're doing for another, that starts to get into fair housing issues. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that work for both both sides of the uh, situation there, whether it's owner or tenant, you know, not doing things consistently has all kinds of problems. And that's where all the problems seem to stem from. Well, and, and I'd say the same thing for the owners. Like uh, we've had owners that uh, tried to influence us on how to, you know, who to accept, for instance, pets. Uh, we, and we, we lost the client because we said, no, we are going to take this, this uh, service animal. You do not have a say in this. And whether you keep us or not, that tenant is moving in and you can deal with the problem later and we will have saved your ass. 
but they don't know any better, which is the point. That's why they, they've got to use us because we know what we're doing. And to whenever you have something on those boards, it starts with, I have an owner that. Well, <laughs> and that's how they all start. That's so Every time, every time. So what they should do, okay, so let's put ourselves back when we all started and we're just trying to get doors just to put food on the table. I mean... You just want any door. Jeremy and I always joke that we took any piece of crap with a roof on it when we started. And roof not required. <laughs> it was optional. It was optional. <laughs> but um, and it really takes a lot of confidence to set your standards. So, what do you think those people who are just struggling just to get doors? How should they start at least setting themselves in a direction where they're going to have standards and procedures and this is how we operate. It's the first step. Yeah, I mean, I would say everybody's gonna have to start out, you know, trial and error, trying to figure out where their procedures need to fall. So it's gonna take every newbie, you know, 150 doors probably before they can kind of figure out where the sweet spot is for their company and how they wanna run it. Because, you know, the way I run my business isn't necessarily how you have to run a property management business. You know, we're completely standardized, completely across the board. Every client and every tenant is treated exactly the same way. There's no differences. Um, but you don't have to do that. I mean, you could have a very boutique business where you only manage for 80 or 100 owners and you're the only person who's overseeing that so you can be more customized. So that's fine if that's the kind of business you want to run as long as you're staying within fair housing requirements and everything. So a lot of it is how you want to run your business. You know, you can do it different ways. But I would just always tell everybody, if you plan to scale, you know, the only way you're ever going to do that, you know, to get behind that, you know, 150 door mark, you're going to have to have staff and that means you're going to have to be standardized because there's no way to do it if you're not doing it standardized. So, and here's where I think you and I, um, having had corporate experience, and especially I think maybe even the airline industry, we had processes, procedures, and policies, and by God, you stuck to them. Now, we were also in logistics, so we had uh, Kaizen and we had TQM, and, and there were different um, quality control measures, but what I try to tell people oftentimes is you have to take that experience of working for a large corporation and take your small company and act big. So if you worked for a corporation, you do remember seeing processes and procedures and you remember that there was a time that if you wanted to update a procedure, at least you were told to do it, and most people don't, you do it this way and then it's approved and then it becomes the actual documentation that you use for your procedures to protect yourself from legal liabilities, to make your, uh, your staff uh, have an easier job. And did I already say scale? Well, so, he, t he said scale. Yes, and scaling, just so that you can actually take on more doors uh, without the, the anxiety of not knowing how you're going to do it. Because you can predict the future if you have procedures and a standardized methodology for onboarding, for collecting rents, for sending reports. And that's what I think the biggest thing I took from corporate America, just and applying it to a small company, act big because then you can turn yourself into a big company. Right? So I think everyone knows that intellectually, but yeah. like when I started, I, we got a big multifamily complex and it was <clears throat> posh. It was like the most gorgeous thing we'd ever managed in our lives. And I was gonna make this thing my baby and it was gonna be amazing. So what did I do? I went against all of our processes and procedures and I was this owner's bitch for lack of a better term. <laughs> I had zero boundaries. I let her walk all over me. If a vendor screwed up, 
then I would like clean the apartments myself, like in my fancy dress for the showings, and then I'd be like scrubbing the toilet. I mean, zero boundaries. She had my cell phone number, she dictated my life. So my point with that is, that was that's a bad idea, don't ever do that. <laughs> Have higher standards than I did. But the other, the other thing to take away is that you kind of have to decide what you want your life to look like. Like if you want this boutique company where you do everything for everyone, do you wanna be on call for the rest of your life? Do you want people to treat you like crap? Like you kind of have to set the standards for how you're gonna live your life and how you're gonna let people treat you. And I think that's where people go wrong as well. So Todd, what do you do? Let's, let's stick with owners for a second. Like what are the boundaries? Well, there's a lot of them, uh, right. you know, and it's everything from, you know, Gwen mentioned, you know, being on call all the time. You know, no, nobody can reach me. You know, if you want to talk to me, you know, there's a whole rigmarole you got to go through to get to me. And basically a tenant can never speak to me. And the way I look at that is, you know, I have a Tesla. If I have a problem with my Tesla, I can't talk to Elon Musk, you know, and obviously I'm not Elon, you know, I'm not a billionaire, but I am still the owner of a company. And I'm still pretty busy. So, you know, you can't reach me just because you have a problem. That's why I have staff. So, you know, that's the first thing I always tell people is you have to set up this boundary where there's not an expectation that you're going to be on the phone at one o'clock in the morning with an owner just because there's an issue that's come up. You know, there's people for that. You know, I've got a call center that handles that or, you know, I've got customer service, you know, there's other people to handle that. So, you know, at first when we started, you know, started the business, that was something we actually told people as a selling point. Oh, you'll have my cell phone number and you can reach me. And that was a nightmare. Um, you know, it, it sounded like a great selling point at first, but that's just, you cannot do that long term. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first thing you got to do is set that boundary and, and set up your business so you have processes in place to deal with everything so nothing falls through the cracks. You know, there's a customer support email address, there's a phone number people can reach, you know, all that stuff is handled in a standardized way. But, you know, you as the business owner don't want to be the person that's having to deal with all that. Well, and to frame this, if you are the person they're talking to as the business owner, then they are talking to at least one step removed from anybody that can actually accomplish something, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm gonna go in and take your rents. You're gonna take the check and drop it off at somebody's desk that processes checks if you're at all adhering to basic procedures. So, so if there's any clients out there, just know that the people that you're, the contact information you have is the right contact information to use, right? Yeah, because if, yeah, it's not gonna get done if they contact you. So Todd, when you were making that transition, so you said you did do the, the bend over backwards, you have my cell phone number. How did you transition from that, because that's exactly where I was with this big multifamily complex, to having boundaries? Was that a hard transition? And how did you do it? It is difficult uh, just because, uh, for one thing, all of your existing clients have your contact information. So it's really easy for everybody who you bring on. Um, it's, it's really difficult, though, to get everybody else who's already been with your company for a while to understand that there's a new way of doing things. So it will take some time. After you get switched over, you just kind of have to coax the clients into contacting the right person. And it'll there'll probably be a transition period of there, six to 12 months, where you're going to have to work at getting people to understand where the right place to go is. I found that a great way to do it is to get you know software like Help Scout or HubSpot or something like that. So you can have a customer service inbox where everybody knows. You can just send out a blast email to every client you have and say, hey, this is the new way to get in touch with us. And this is the fastest way to get an answer. I always emphasize that. This is the fastest way for you to find out. Because if you talk to me, you, know, you leave a voicemail on my phone, 
I might not get that for three days. But if you send the message to this customer support inbox, I got a staff member who will get back to you in an hour. And that that kind of directs them there. And something that we did is that if we had a phone system, pretty early VOIP phone system, and so even if we were the right people to talk to at the time, especially as a smaller company, we would have them go through an attendant to select what they were calling for. And then now all of those, you know, one, two, and three might all come to one person. But when you grow, the client is going through the same procedure. They're selecting one and somebody else is answering the phone. And you can answer it from your cell phone with the If you have the right software. With the app. Yeah. So that way, yeah, if I were to give any advice to someone starting out, it would be never give your cell phone number away. Like ever, like ever get that VoIP system first (laughs) and have them act act like they're calling the main number and then just have it connect to your cell phone. So I'll just, I'll brag here. I never, ever once gave my cell phone out. Well, you're a better. Oh, you're so lucky. Right? No, yeah. I didn't have to transition. He knew, he knew and had boundaries and standards before the rest of us. I I, had none. (laughs) I had to to grow into it. Um, uh, all right, about clients. How involved do you let them get in maintenance decisions? Uh, I do not, really, uh, basically. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a big deal with us. Uh, and that was, a, that was a big change that we did a number of years ago. And there was actually another property manager that, uh, that in Texas who I spoke to really changed my philosophy on all this because we previously, we would call owners for every little thing. You know, if they, had, if they wanted to have a $100 limit on repairs, we would put that in the contract and we'd call them for everything. Um, and, you know, I just thought that's how you had to do it. And then one day I was talking to this guy I know down in, uh, in uh, Austin, and he says, oh, I, I replace air conditioners. If it's broken, I just replace it. I don't ask anybody. I tell him I, after the fact that, hey, I replaced your air conditioner. Um, and that just blew my mind. I, I couldn't imagine that it was even possible to do such a thing. And lo and behold, I started doing this, and there really wasn't much of a problem. You know, you would find the occasional owner who would question you, but for the most part, if your clients know that you know, if they trust you, if you've had a business relationship with them, or if they've decided to choose you because of your real, your reputation on online and from what they've heard from prior clients and all that, then they're going to trust you to make those decisions. That's brilliant. So if you've got a client who doesn't trust you to make those decisions, then you should not be with that owner. You know that owner, should, you know, get rid of them. And, and, and what, they shouldn't be with did. you, which is the way to yeah. pitch it. Like, yeah, it's not a match. Like, and there's this other thing that we've been doing now recently, which is budget based dispatching so we'll prepare the budget of what we would expect because i mean it's not rocket science we know the numbers for properties right generally speaking if over an extended period of time if you can create a budget and get an agreement with the owner that says you know we will we will uh, work to conform to these parameters established by the budget and we'll call you when we start trending outside those numbers because that makes that allows you to do the things that you have to do because like the owners that want to have a hundred dollar limit it costs 150 bucks it it, us calling you because it's going to cost 150 dollars saves you no money it layers on top of our infrastructure on top of our um uh fixed cost because we're talking to you and and there's no difference except that you're confused or you're frustrated or you weren't prepared for it because you didn't know what you're getting into when you bought the house and so you want to weed them out of your portfolio anyway but that budget-based approach is kind of badass because you don't have to talk to them, even if it's reasonable. Like sometimes they say two hundred fifty dollars. 
uh, okay, but that's anything that gets a little bit more complicated than if than if uh, a toilet that's clogged, right? And and then yeah, the other we, thing. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Todd. Oh no, I was just going to say. I mean, as far as the budget goes, I mean, I, I had a client who you know sent us a, a message maybe about six months or so ago, and they were complaining that they had had a bunch of maintenance requests. And I looked in the system, and they had had three maintenance requests there that that last month or two, and it totaled up to like something like seven hundred and fifty dollars. So. Um, I looked at that, but then I looked back at their prior year's history, and they hadn't had any maintenance requests for like the prior three years. So, you know, when I went back to this owner, I said, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, the average rental property, you're spending 10% of your rent every year in maintenance, you know, consistently, you know, if you look at it over the long term, so you've come out way ahead here. You haven't spent anything for years. So, you know, you're not only have you not had too much maintenance, you've, you're actually below the standard. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, like you say, if you're looking at it as a budget base, you can look at it and say, oh, this is either normal or it's not normal. So you set these maintenance uh, budgetary parameters. But then the other thing that we're doing at Wistar, which is really making a difference, is having standard meet, set meetings with uh, the clients about their portfolio because then they withhold their questions until the meeting and then we're not on their time frame where they're emailing us every day because you know some people are really high maintenance. They're not emailing us every day. We're like, oh, well, we, we'll talk about it at our standard meeting and then and they know that it will get addressed and it just allows us to manage our schedule instead of being at the back and call of the owners. So that's been a good change at Wistar, right, Jeremy? Yeah, so what do you guys do with your communication with owners? That's actually a great idea. We haven't thought of doing that. A lot of what we do is uh, is we, we've got it set up where people can schedule meetings with our staff just from an email link, basically. So if anybody needs to talk to somebody, all they have to do is click a link, set up a meeting on their time. They can pick the time right on the, on the staff member's calendar that works for them, and we can talk to them whenever we need to. But you know what you're talking about sounds better to me because we can set up an actual time that's that's uh, you know just a routine call to go over things. So and we're you know, there's different ways to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that, 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 that's why we went to the scheduled meeting because yeah. we kept having situations where an owner would call in, and then you're you know you're trying to figure out what's going on, talking to them over the phone, and it takes ten times as long totally. trying to sort through the statement and everything. If you can go through that beforehand, you know the owner sets a meeting time and they tell you what they're talking, what they're calling about. Then you can get all that stuff prepared before the meeting. So it's it's a lot more efficient that way. Your your keys is that uh, do you rekey everything and do you let the owners have a copy of the key? Or Ooh, oh, absolutely key. not. So let me tell you a story about why we don't let owners have keys. So we had a property that we were managing. This is probably three or four years ago down in Florida. And there was a maintenance issue at the property. The tenant was behind on their rent. We were in the process of evicting them. Um, and we weren't able to get into the property to do the maintenance because the tenant wasn't allowing us in. Our attorneys were telling us, don't go in the property because they're specifically telling you not to. Uh, they're denying you access. So, you know, the owner got upset and they had a set of keys still because at this point we weren't changing the locks. They decided they were going to go over and go into property and fix the issue themselves. Now, what they ended up with was a arrest warrant for breaking and entering into the property. They were trespassing and uh, they had to get that cleared up. And of course, we don't have attorneys who are, you know, uh, criminal defense attorneys. So they had to go out and get oh, that man. taken care of. So it was a mess. Um, and that precipitated our change to every property that we take on we change the locks immediately we change the locks again between every tenant 
and the owner is not allowed access to the house. They do not get keys until we stop managing the property. And that's for their own protection. We don't we don't need you know owners getting sued because they're accused of stealing something or breaking something. We certainly don't want them getting arrest warrants out. So it's just not in their best interest to be going into the house. So that's that's I totally can see that happening. Fortunately, we've never had that happen. Um, <laughs> another example of getting in, in in trouble with the law is like workers comp we've had one owner years ago a couple of years ago <clears throat> um a few years back he said um you know he was trying to this guy makes a million dollars a year as a doctor but he was always on weekends trying to accumulate the work list and go in there and get the work done and save 15 dollars an hour on something and didn't track workers comp guy fell off the railing that they were fixing down one floor broke something and of course he got sued you know but that's what you have work that's why you have a property management company to track workers comp and make sure that the vendors you've got are are <clears throat> are providing mm -hmm. that cushion of liability between the owner's asset which is relatively easy to get to and the the complainant Right. So one of the things I just want to circle back around, it's uh, when people are starting out, they're afraid of having these boundaries because they're afraid they won't get the door. So in your sales process, do you tell them right at, on the outset, like in the sales meetings, like this is how it goes, or do you get it and then tell them how it operates? When, what is your process to make sure that everybody's on the same page on the rules and the boundaries? Now, we definitely don't want to spring stuff on people. We want them to know what kind of business relationship they're getting in when they start, because there are a lot of different philosophies out there. So we want to make sure that they understand how we do business. We've actually got a video on our website. Uh, it's on our blog. It's on our YouTube channel where it's basically me explaining our philosophy on this. And I basically compare it to a 401k. And everybody knows how they do their 401k. They, mm -hmm. they set an automatic contribution. They've got it allocated to certain funds, and then they don't do anything with it. Nobody thinks, oh, I need to call up my mutual fund manager and tell him to sell this stock tomorrow. Uh, number one, they won't take your phone call. But number two, you know, just nobody thinks to do that. For some reason, everybody thinks, for some reason, they need to tell their property manager how to manage their asset. Right. And, you know, that's that's not the way this should work. You know, the property manager does this day in and day out. They know the laws. They know the best ways to handle things. They need to be trusted with handling this. We want the owner to understand that's our philosophy right up front. So if they're looking for someone who's going to be on the phone 24 hours a day on call and doing things whatever way they want, then that's not us. So we want to make sure we get that taken care of right at the front end so we're not in the in a, in a battle with them basically after we sign their door up. And I think to, like <clears throat> where this is going is what we're looking for as property managers is to work with investors, not people that are looking for a job. Not owners that are that uh, are are willing to operate as a part-time uh, host of your time, right? So, That's what we, you got to have the confidence to do that, or you'll never be an investment uh, management company. And uh, I think that this is where the confidence of the individual comes in. So you have to set your company up in a way where you have faith in your processes and procedures, you have faith in your people, and then. Uh, you can have those boundaries with the owners because you know you're servicing them like a professional. And that's when you back away from doing um, everything and anything and on call and having no boundaries. Would you agree, Todd? No, absolutely. And I would say it gets really easy on this after you do it the first couple times. So after you've told someone that's not how we do business 
And they either, you know, most of the time they'll actually say, okay, I understand you after you explain it to them. And then they'll, they'll, they'll conform to the way you want to do business. Cause most people understand you're the expert. And after you've had that happen a few times, your confidence will get boosted and you'll be more comfortable doing that again in the future. You will lose a few clients. We actually shrunk quite a bit. You know, I actually got rid of a lot of clients we had. We used to be at 450 doors. We're down at about 300 now, but I will say, our revenue is higher than it was when we were at 450 doors. And that's because we manage a better quality of property. Uh, our profit is way up because we're more efficient. We can do it with less staff because we're not on the phone doing different things for different owners all the time. So you, you realize after you start to do this that it works better for you and it boosts your confidence and makes it a lot easier for you to do it going forward. So here are the examples when people don't listen to their own rules. One owner has four houses they like and one they don't. So you've got the dog in the mix and you have to decide like they'll say, oh, I want it, I want these four handled this way, but this one, you know, it's got to be done. So the owner has to, or the business CEO has to decide, are we going to take the dog with like the four good ones or getting into something out of your wheelhouse, trying to grow into something? That's where I see people making those mistakes later on in the business. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I would say to that is, you know, growth is not the panacea that you think it is. You know, every, you know, it's, it, I used to focus so much on this, you know, I got to get more doors, you know, everything is about doors. And, you know, that's not, that's not the key, you know, and I, I'm kind of, you know, the, the evangelist on this now that door count isn't what matters most. What matters is having an efficient business uh, that produces the maximum revenue per door. And, you know, trying to go out and grow just for the sake of growth is not going to get you where you want to be. You want to have good doors for good owners with an efficient, standardized business. And not only will you make more money that way, but you'll be a lot you know, more stress-free. You'll be happier running that business. So and, that's, that's what I would tell people. And there are cases, especially years ago, um, investors, their currency to determine whether or not they were performing or whether or not they had big enough peacock feathers was the number of doors that they could get. <clears throat> Forget that they're levering 90 to 10, 90, 10. You know, and they don't have the cash flow to be able to support a portfolio. They have 10 doors or 11 doors and they're 15 and they're just really proud of that number. And whenever I pick up on that, it's usually a cue to just bail. Just <laughs> That's not the kind of client you want. Where their currency is the number of doors, they underappreciate the effort it takes <clears throat> to actually manage and finance those doors. Because the rule of thumb, you know, in our industry, we have the four, it's called the 50% rule, 45 to 50% of the revenue that's generated in an investment property is going right back into the property over the course of its uh, life, whether it's a roof, HVAC, repairs. Um, that's just, that's the way it works. If, if you're paying all that interest, you're, you're in trouble. Um, so, um, I want to switch gears <clears throat> and just talk about tenant uh, rules of engagement. So, well, here's a good transition. Okay. The rent. Do you let your owners tell you how much to rent it for? So when we sign up a client, we will try to talk them into the right rent. If they're completely unreasonable on it, we won't sign them up. We'll just say, you know, I'm sorry, your property's not going to rent for that. That's not going to work for us. If we're kind of on the edge there and they want a little bit more than we think it sh it'll get, we'll allow that. But we have a clause in our management agreement that says if this property doesn't rent in 14 days, right. we can set the rent back to this. Great idea. So, you know, we've already got that automatic reduction in there. When it comes to re renewals, we view that as a fair housing issue. We cannot have an owner deciding what the rent in 
increase is going to be on a renewal because they could be increasing that rent for any reason. I don't know what it is. They might not. They might look at the name and say, "Oh, this looks like a Hispanic name. I'm going to raise the rent 50 percent to get rid of them." <clears throat> so you know that's not something we want. We want to make sure that we're making market-based decisions. So we will not allow an owner to be involved whatsoever in a in a rent renewal, rent increase. So. You know, it, it just, it, you know, it, slightly different rules for new properties versus renewals. But, you know, in general, our idea is, you know, we're the expert. We manage the property. And, you know, that's that's kind of how we run the business. We don't, we, it's as I always say, we do not co-manage property. And oh, uh, we're like lucky. That. We don't co-manage <laughs> co properties. Yeah. And, and we're lucky because we don't even have to do the work of determining what something um, should rent for because the market will tell us what it will rent for. <laughs> it's, it's, yep. The market kind of knocks that one out. Ding. So tenant rules of engagement, um, what are your rules of engagement with them? So, I mean, just in a general sense, you know, one of our company's core values is fairness. So we our, our basic idea is every tenant has to be treated exactly the same. So that means we have standardized procedures for everything and we don't go outside that. So if a tenant comes to me and he wants to have a late fee waived, then it's real simple. Does the policy say I can waive that late fee or does it not? It's a binary choice. It's really easy to see in the policy. I don't want anybody making subjective decisions. You know, I don't want anybody looking at something and saying, well, I like this tenant, so I'm going to waive their late fee. I don't like this other tenant, so I'm not going to. That's not how we do business. So, you know, our idea is everything's standardized. You know, decisions are really easy that way, and tenants are treated fairly that way. Everybody knows that they're not getting the short end of the stick because they're just getting treated like everybody else is. And you say, I think I read this, that you like to have all your communication on email is that true with yeah the we do yeah we we prefer that because we've run into situations where you know it's always a he said she said thing if it's over the phone and you we have all of our phone calls recorded which helps with that sort of thing but it's really difficult to go back and listen through a 30-minute phone call yeah. it's really easy to run a search term through hubspot and figure out what was said on an email so we definitely prefer to have everything on email. There are circumstances where something's just a really complicated maintenance issue. We've got to call them up. But for the most part, we, we tell everybody to email us. And because of that, we, we put a big focus on our response time. So that's part of our scorecard every single Friday. I'm looking at what their response time is, and I expect them to be responding quickly. So, you know, that's, that's a big focus for us. But we do like it all to be done by email. Do so you, Do you allow people to come into the office for so our office is uh, appointment only now. Um, mm -hmm. That we, we actually started that pre-COVID. Um, it was just kind of just kind of you know a coincidence that we started that about a month or two before COVID hit. Um, but we found that that's much better. You know, we we don't need people just dropping by. Not many people did anyway. You know, it wasn't a common thing. But when it did, you know, someone would just hang out in the office for an hour, talking your ear off, and it was an efficiency killer. Especially so, if you have an attractive woman oh in the my front. God. Oh we my god! We always had guys like hanging out. At, and, so we we did um, have an open office, and this is kind of a point I want to make about deciding what you want your company to be because if you're wasting energy being something that you don't want to be then you don't have the energy to become who you think your company should become so we were taking on some uh, multi-family that was pretty low income and a lot of those people didn't have they didn't have email addresses and they didn't speak english and so they needed to come in and fill out paper forms and um, you know, applications and all that. And so we had an open door policy, but it felt 
after a while, I felt like we were the cricket cell phone store. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you guys have those, like yeah. those pay-as-you-go cell phone stores? Yep. That Our office felt like that. Yeah. And so we said to ourselves, like, do we want, I mean, if we do, if this is our niche and this is who we want to be, then we can be the cricket of property management and everybody can roll through the office all day long and keep the front office people busy. Or we can close our doors, be appointment only, say goodbye to these very profitable clients with these big multifamilies and cater to people who know how to use the internet. And we opted for that. But it was a big thing because we had to say bye to this owner that, I mean, the revenue was amazing for this property. And we just, we had to do with, we made the decision to do without that. The other thing with vendors is vendors can waste people's time and they would waste the front office ladies' mm. time too. So we have the keys. Once a vendor needs a key, we put it in a lockbox outside the office, give them the code, and then they grab it without talking to anybody. Nice. Oh, that's so nice. And because they would, hey, what you doing this weekend, you know? You look good, Brittany. Looking Still married. good today. Do you uh, have a boyfriend? <laughs> like, oh, get and, out of here. And just to contrast a little bit, kind of going back a second to the e having email be the one way that you get the um, your service issues. Um, we do it for the exact same reason that you have it funneled through email. We do it um, in order for an, a service issue to actually make it into production. It has to be entered as a work order through the software. So they can call our staff, which we have a call, uh, customer service center. They type it in. When they hit save, the tenant gets an email with all of the content so they have an opportunity to verify that the information's right. Or they can log in to the web access that they have and submit a work order and that's it. So it's the same reason, like it's just, it's funneled into the same instrument it just automatically becomes a work order that, which then enters our production line. Um, but I think that's important to, to have it, whether it's just sent through email or becomes instantly the service issue uh, in your procedure, imperative. Because if you're taking phone calls or your maintenance guys are out in the field and then they find, you know, someone mentions, oh, but I also have a smoke detector that needs to be done. Um, or, and then the tenant can always say, well, I told Phil about the smoke detector. Well, okay. You, I mean, you win this one because uh, well, yeah, how are we going to protect get, ourselves? Then you can get sued Yeah. if you don't have standards. So, um, well, this is really fun. I just want to ask you. We didn't, yeah. we didn't what, get to any of the, We didn't get. We'll, we'll just have to have Todd <laughs> We'll have come to back. have you back on. Um, but what is your biggest boneheaded move that you've made in business, Todd? Oh, my Stopping to, not being a pilot anymore, <laughs> duh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I do not regret that actually. I bet not. Now, I would say probably the worst thing we did was we took on this horrible D class, you know, multifamily 40 door property. Um, and this was several years ago. And it was basically the worst property in Griffin, which is a town south of Atlanta. And it ended up actually being bulldozed after we stopped managing it because it was in such bad condition. It was just a nightmare. And I knew it was a nightmare and I shouldn't have taken it. 
I was telling myself in the back of my head, this is going to be a bad decision. And I didn't listen to myself and I still took on that property and we ended up with bad reviews. Oh, yeah. We ended up yes. with lawsuits. It was just, it was a nightmare. It was the worst decision I'd ever made. And, you know, I would just tell everybody, listen to the voice in the back of your head because it's telling you something for a reason. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to use this as an opportunity because I've never said it on the show, but one of my big bonehead mistakes was I took on exactly that same property in a different city. Just a piece of shit. Hold that thought. <laughs> Because that's part of the story. Um, <laughs> this, this so we are taking over on Monday, and I go to the property, pick up the keys. This is when he, this is 15 years ago. We go pick it up, pick up the keys, and while I'm at the old manager's office, I get a phone call from Channel Seven. Okay, so I get a call from Channel Seven about the property, which is you know about 16 blocks east of me, uh, north of me, and then. It's like, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll meet you over there. And we're walking through the property. This is day one. I mean, I, we, I've never even seen the property at this point. And I was unfortunately one that picked up the keys. So I'm walking through the place with the, the, the news guy. And this is the anchor, because this was a big story, because this was a big piece of shit. <laughs> and and uh, so we're walking through. And so we look at one of the units about one of the complaints that came in. And he's like, well, uh, Mr. Aspen, what do you think about there's fecal matter in the middle of the floor? <laughs> and I, I turned to him and I said, Todd, that's his shit. That's not my shit. He, he put that shit in the middle of the floor. I didn't put it there. I'm not picking it up. And you can't expect me to. So we went back to my office and had a better conversation about, you know, okay, look, this is our day one. Here's the quote. Here's what you can use. We took over today, and our whole objective is to make things better. But that is not my shit to clean up. <laughs> and it, he just got the biggest kick out of it. It was a great defense, too. Anyway. Anyway, but yeah, we've taken over. We've had that property, maybe a few of those. Yeah, we, we had that one for one day. I call it, it was like, uh, yeah, we're out. We're yeah. not going to end. We're, this is yours. But, <laughs> like to get, to we're not get managing on the that one anymore. the first day. Anyway, um, what is a book that you would recommend to some of the listeners? So I don't read a whole lot of business books. What I try to do is read other stuff and try to apply it to business. So one oh of my the books God, I've you and I are the same. I swear to God. Oh, it's, you and I, I, I are the same. Every business book is the, is the same you know, talking points regurgitated by a different CEO over and over again. So yeah. I, I don't even bother. But uh, one thing I would recommend, uh, it's actually a book by, uh, I believe he's a social psychologist. His name's Paul Bloom. Uh, he wrote a book called Against Empathy, which don't judge it by its title. You know, it's, it does, it's not as bad as it sounds. He's not telling you to be a jerk. But what he's telling you is, you know, your sense of empathy will lead you astray. And, you know, you'll make bad decisions because you empathize with people who are like you. And you'll make and you'll basically treat people poorly who aren't like you. So, you know, mm. you need to be careful about that. And that's, you know, kind of argues for standardization. So, you know, that, that's a book I would recommend for everybody against empathy. Interesting. Okay. I, I, that's probably right is up it, our is alley. It a, is he a psychologist or what's his background? So yeah, he is. He's a, I can't remember where he's a professor at. Uh, I think he actually has a podcast of his own. Uh, again, his name's Paul Bloom. But a really interesting guy. Everything he does I find really interesting. But, uh, yeah, professor of psychology, I believe, is what he is. So, and this can make it to air or not, but and are you familiar with Steven Pinker or Jonathan Haidt? Oh yeah, I love Stephen. Yeah, okay. I love both of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how the mind, uh, how the mind works, is a great book. Um, uh, anyway, he has a couple of great books, linguistics books. I just love that 
stuff in the same vein as what you're talking about psychology um anyway didn't mean to no um we are going to give todd's favorite book against empathy by paul bloom to the to those who participate in this book giveaway so if you go to our youtube channel and click the link in the description of this episode or visit our instagram at bootstrapper show and click the link in our bio you could be the proud owner of that book. So that's a wrap. Till next week. Hey, Todd, thanks a million yes. for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. Finally, nice. Uh, now we can actually say that we've met. We've met now officially, so I'm glad. Super fun yes, show. Yes, we've Zoom met, which is how people meet nowadays, apparently. Yeah. So it, <laughs> thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You oh, bet. And we'll have you in the, uh, we'll have you in the, uh, we'll, we'll see you in a lot of the uh, chat rooms also here on Facebook. Well, of course. Cool. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks a million. Absolutely. All right. This is Bootstrappers. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.